0: You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Washington. So, Kenzie. Yes, Lauren. Let's get scary. So, I have a question. I have an answer.
1: Do you remember the 21st night night of September? September. (laughs) Oh, um, even though this will come out the week after, happy birthday, ding, if she listens to this episode. Because today's her birthday. Oh, happy birthday to her. Yeah. I had something I was going (laughs) to say to you. (laughs) oh my god i have something freaky to tell you what oh what oh my goodness so i think albert might be real why so over the weekend i was laying in bed and i was just about to go to sleep Mm -hmm. and the fan on my ceiling doesn't actually produce any breeze it just rotates it just spins there's do you usually have that on when i come over oh all the time oh i never turn it off oh in the hopes that one day i get a semblance of a
0: Mm, Just something. mm -hmm,
1: Yes. If you put your hand close enough to it, you can kind of feel something going on (laughs) with there. (laughs) What if you twist, like... Oh, I've done it all. Ah. And so, my floor fan... Mm -hmm. You got to turn it kind of at an angle to get the breeze. Yeah. You don't always get it. So, it's pretty much just a noise machine at this point. Yeah, which is important, too. Right. So, I'm laying there, and I knew I couldn't feel my fan, any of them. (laughs) And then, all of a sudden, I feel this, like, cool air quickly like brush over me like I felt it like on oh, my no. shoulder and I like looked around for a second oh and I was like oh my god. I almost said you about it I was like I'll just wait until I see her and tell her oh my god and I was like oh, I think Albert might be real yeah he might just like walk past you yeah oh that's creepy yeah it was kind of freaked me out and so then of course I put my blankets over me of course <laughs> so and the protection like, yes I was like, Albert, we have not made contact thus far. We have lived in peace. <laughs> well, we have made contact. Well, we don't know who we were making contact with when the lights flickered. Um, that was definitely your grandfather saying that you are wrong and I was <laughs> right, and that it was a man who was on That's still up for debate because it, it was a is long. not up for debate when a ghost and a spirit puts forth the effort it takes to contact us the way we have asked to be contacted. And you doubt him? That was wild. I did. He was in my dream the other day. I forgot to tell you about that. Oh, my grandpa? Yeah. Oh, what happened? He was buying my dad's house. <laughs> oh. Like, we were having, so, like, my dad's old house. Yeah. And we were over, or you were, you were there, and he was there. I think that was it. I think it was just the two of you. And he was looking around. He was contemplating whether or not he was going to buy the house. Oh. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. He was saying hi. He was saying, you are right and they are wrong. I'm going to punch you. <laughs>
0: All right, so I guess you want to jump
1: into Washington? Let's do it. So Washington is the second state with the highest wine production rates, just behind California, with over 1,050 wineries. Hmm. Love it. I've been really into wine these days. I very much appreciate that. I love wine. Love good wine. The only temperate rainforest in the continental U.S. is found in Washington on the Olympic Peninsula. That's really cool. That is really cool. That was a thing. The Space Needle was built in 1962 for the world's fair with the theme, The Age of Space. It stands 600 feet tall and is actually one of the most photographed structures in the world. 605. What did I say? 600. Okay. Those five feet are really important. Sorry. (laughs) The state insect is the green drainer dragonfly. I think that would be darter. That's probably right. (laughs) (laughs) The official dance is a square dance. Which I would not expect. Yeah. You
0: would think the square dance is down in, like, Texas. (laughs)
1: On May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. Ash reached all the way to Idaho and Alberta, Canada, and encircled the earth in 15 minutes. Did you know (laughs) that... I'm pretty sure it's Mount St. Helens. Or it might be Yellowstone. Something up there. Okay. It's, like, overdue. Oh, yeah. I think it's Yellowstone. Yeah. And so, like, the San Andreas Fault Line that, like, runs along the Pacific... Um, Apparently, it's, like, stretching like a rubber band and, like, making all this pressure, 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 pressure. And at some point, maybe next 50 years, next 100 years, who knows, if it doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to snap. And then it's going to be, like, really bad. That's why everyone in California is just, like, waiting for the big one. That's what they – So it's funny you say that because (laughs) when we teach the landforms unit to my fifth graders, one of the things that they talk about is the big one. Yeah. And I felt really bad because one year... Um, I had one of my special friends, who's the love of my life, and we were talking about it and explaining what would happen and all these things, and she lost it. Oh. And I was like, it's all the way over there. We'll be fine. You won't feel it you probably. <laughs> like, just trying to reassure her, which in the back of my mind, I was like, I mean, we might die, but I'm not going to tell... tell you that. Yeah, I felt so bad. <laughs> I was like, no, It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so one of those things is due to overdue to, like, oh, and I was listening to a podcast this morning, and, like, the – these – it's not, like, a solar flare, but it's something that happens with the sun. Mm -hmm. The guy described it as, like, the sun sometimes, like, burps this stuff. (laughs) Okay. And when it reaches Earth, it, like, fucks with everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's part of the reason we have the Northern Lights. Oh. And so it it was in relation to talking about EMPs, like, you know – you know, in, like, the action movies, and they have an EMP, and they hit it, and then all the electricity goes out, and they can, you know, rob the bank or whatever. Oh.
0: That sounded like you said eating peas, and I did not know. <laughs> e,
1: like, elephant, M, like, yeah. monkey. Well, I get it now. P, like, Paul. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> EMP. Because um, they are talking about bunkers, doomsday, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, apparently, that's also something that's apparently overdue. Oh, good. For, uh to happen and if it does like they the government has been trying to work on fixing all of our systems so mm-hmm. that it's not affected, When it happens we're fine but they're not nearly prepared enough yeah, for I it yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't expect them to be prepared so there's a possibility that it could happen in that parts of wherever have like good blackouts good and like it shuts down wonderful so yeah <laughs> anyway so much to look forward to <laughs> Washington is surrounded by nine volcanoes. That seems a little scary. <laughs> it's okay. The uh, Ring of Fire is in the specific specific Pacific Ocean. Burning Ring of Fire. I also think of shark bait. Ooh, ha, ha. Yes, that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Washington is known for its UFO sighting. Ding, ding, ding. We might be talking about that. The first published photo was in 1947. Ah, oh, you don't say. Hmm, I might have more information about that. It is believed that there were flying jellyfish in Oakville. Mysterious blobs were falling from the sky, and some people got sick and some animals died from it. Charles Fort, an author who investigates weird things, speculated that there was a species of nearly transparent jellyfish just floating and chilling in the atmosphere. <laughs> Pilots have reported seeing things resembling jellyfish in the sky, and people have found birds dead, which looked like they had been stung by a jellyfish. Gross. The Washington State Department of Ecology did tests on these blobs and found that they contained human white blood cells.
0: Gross. Interesting. And they look like the weirdest things. They're just literally these transparent blobs. And I mm -mm, don't like them. They're aliens.
1: Maybe. That was a theory. (laughs) The most snow recorded in one place at the same time was in Mount Barker with a record of 95 feet of snow. Mm, No. Kill me. No. No. Don't like that. Mount Rainier is 14,411 feet above sea level at its highest point. It is actually the most dangerous in the Cascade Range. The state marine animal is an orca. Like, how specific? Like, this is our state marine animal.
0: I don't think Virginia has a state marine animal.
1: Probably not, but it should have been an otter. Why? Because that's where they live. Oh. (laughs) An orca is not as cute as an otter.
0: But would I don't think an otter is a marine
1: animal, though. A sea otter? Yeah, but they're, like, do they, like, live underwater? No, but they live in water. Yeah. They spend, like, I mean, an orca. Is in water. Yeah, but it still breathes air. Yeah. It's a mammal. Yeah. I don't know. They have an orca. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Seattle has one of the nation's largest college degree holders. Inventions from Washington. Bread clips were invented in Yakima. I fucking love that town. Really? I just like saying it. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking, how many times have you been to I've Yakima. never been there, but I like Yakima. It's like um <laughs> Exactly. Chapatulis. Say it. Chippetunas. Chippetunas. See? <laughs> uh, Pictionary was invented in Seattle, Seattle in nineteen eighty five. The cranium game. Oh, I loved that game. I know. Growing up. I did oh too. Oh my god. Wow. Unlocked a memory. I, I know. I, had. I love that, was that a great one. Game. It was invented in Seattle in 1998, and the bass guitar was also invented in Seattle in the 1930s. That's cool. Some companies that started in Washington, Amazon, Starbucks, Costco, Cinnabon, love them, Mm -hmm. Uh, Expedia.com, and Zillow. (laughs) (laughs) Some famous people from Washington, Kurt Cobain, Bill Gates, Jimi Hendrix, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who I love. Oh, my God, he is the most
0: attractive man. He is in Supernatural. He plays Sam and Dean's dad. And then he's also in um, The Walking Dead as Negan. Oh, he's actually married to the girl who plays Peyton in One Tree Hill. Oh, I know
1: her. She, I know him. He played, uh, he was on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, yep. Yep.
0: He has only gotten better with age. Yes, he's And who he's married to, she actually went to um, Parkview. Isn't that wild? Yes, it is he is so freaking attractive Mm -hmm. oh my god okay sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) and rain wilson who's rain wilson
0: dwight from the office oh come on Mackenzie. he's also um terry carnation he has a podcast called dark dark space dark something like that with terry carnation and he like reads scary stories and talks about scary things
1: Hmm. and (laughs) macklemore (laughs) no
0: a lot of people from washington there you go all
1: right lauren what you talking about today
0: all right. About, so today, I am talking about Linda Hazard. Ooh,
1: is she a hazard for her health? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Why didn't I think of that one? Yes, yeah, she is. See, you gotta be quicker than that.
1: <laughs> You've gotta be quicker than that. Oh. Okay. One think. day we should have someone count how many references we make to other things as we have Ooh, conversations. That would be good. <laughs> we do it a lot at work. So now it's just I have to do it all the time. Oh my. Today at school, someone was trying to point to the deer and they couldn't come up with the name of it and i was like the deer they're like yeah and so i was like doe a deer a female and i just started saying it <laughs> every time there's always something that pops into my head yeah i get it <sighs> anyway sorry <laughs> <laughs> so
0: Ulaya washington i think that's how you pronounce it literally know where to find it it's okay so it is a small town located in kitsap county near gig harbor today it is a serene and beautiful place but it wasn't so much so in the early 1900s linda laura burfield was born on december 18th 1867 in carver county minnesota to parents montgomery and suzanne Neal burfield and was one of eight children
1: that's a mouthful i know
0: Not too much is known of her early life, but in 1885, when she was just 18, she married a man and the couple had two children. But only 13 years later, Linda just up and left her children and husband and moved herself to Minneapolis to pursue her career. Good for her. The career she wanted to pursue was medicine. She did not have a medical degree, but was still licensed to practice medicine due to a loophole that grandfathered in those who practiced alternative medicines without a degree. Damn straight. And that is exactly what she practiced, alternative medicine. Dun, dun, dun! She called herself doctor. We should start including sound effects. That would be fun. Like, we just press a button on our keyboard.
1: And <laughs> our keyboard.
0: <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> what would you call that in front of you? Your keyboard.
1: Thank you. It just doesn't.
0: I know, but that's what it is. I know, but
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't. It doesn't.
0: <laughs> We've moved on. Yes. Yeah. But actual computers still have, like, a keyboard.
1: Right, which is why I feel like the one on your laptop is not a not A keyboard. Uh-huh. Typing keys, typing keys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she called herself Doctor, and once told a reporter, "Quote: I have told you time and time again, it is Doctor Hazard. Miss Hazard is my mother-in-law. Hell yeah." Linda Laura Hazard was a fasting doctor, actually known as a fasting specialist, and claimed that she had developed a method of fasting that would help one with illnesses, essentially ridding their bodies of the toxins that caused imbalances in the body, imbalances that led to illnesses. So she believed that impaired digestion would cause impure blood, which would then lead to a myriad of different illnesses. This was all caused by an excessive intake of food. So if you ate too much, you would be sick. But I mean, not but not like, oh, my stomach hurts sick, yeah. like d- deathly illnesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is believed she took on a patient in 1902 who ended up dying under her care. The coroner who took a look at this person said that they had died of starvation following Hazard's fasting plan. He tried to prosecute her, but because Linda wasn't technically a doctor and technically not licensed to practice medicine, she couldn't be held accountable. So it was pretty much just like a guy. Another loophole. Exactly. So after this patient's death, it was noticed that he was missing some valuable rings and suspicion fell on Linda, but she was able to evade those questions and moved on. After this little debacle, Linda met the man of her dreams, a West Point graduate named Samuel Christman Hazard. So that's where she gets the Hazard yes, last name. got it. He had been in the military and had a promising career until he misappropriated some army funds. Mm. So a little about this dream man, Samuel. He was a known drunk and swindler and had already been married at least two times before meeting and soon marrying Linda.
1: Sounds like a dream.
0: Right. Well, the fact that he was married came out and Samuel was arrested for bigamy. <laughs> Uh. (laughs) why you may ask well he had never technically divorced his previous two wives so you can't marry someone new while still being married to someone else two other people it's not even just one (laughs) right he was sentenced to two years in prison for this charge only two years he finished his sentence in 1906 and the couple decided to start over anew in washington i guess their marriage was still legally binding maybe the other ones fell through i don't really know finally got divorced (laughs) something (laughs) there's a lot you can do in prison in two years i guess So during her career as a doctor, Linda wrote a couple books about the whole fasting thing. Her book, The Science of Fasting, explained how she had studied under Edward Hooker Dewar. (laughs) I knew you were going to say it. (laughs) Oh my god, it's Hooker Dewar. Like, do her? Hooker her, that's so bad. He was a (laughs) Uh, well-known... (laughs) Yeah. She was a well-known proponent of fasting she wrote three other books that went into the science behind fasting and how it could be used to cure many illnesses and diseases the first book was fasting for the cure of disease written in 1908 diet and disease and systemic cleansing written in 1917 and in 1927 she wrote scientific fasting the ancient and modern
1: key to health so when they have the flu pandemic was she like just don't eat and you'll be fine literally never touched on that once interesting yeah So that last
0: book was actually a five-time revised and amplified edition of her first book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, the one from 1908. Mm. So furthering her believed science and medical abilities, Linda established Wilderness Heights, a sanitarium located in Olaya, Washington. The idea of Wilderness Heights began with Linda essentially operating out of a few private rooms. The building of the sanitarium hadn't completed construction yet when she had begun to take patients, but over the time, it ends up being built. But at Wilderness Heights, patients who suffered from all different sorts of illnesses would be treated. These illnesses could range from everyday aches and pains to migraines to cancer. Patients would be forced to follow a strict fasting regimen where they would fast for days, weeks, or months, living on a diet that consisted of only small amounts of tomato juice, asparagus juice, and sometimes orange juice.
1: See, I am the poster child for hangry. Oh, yeah. Which is why I don't participate in any sort of fasting. No. Mm -mm. Because I would have been murdering people. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like... The only time I stay quiet is when I'm hungry. And that's for both of our benefits. Yeah, I remember when we were recording once, every five seconds, you're like, I am hungry. Well, you will notice that I started losing steam and coming up with things to say because all I kept thinking about was how hungry I was. Well, good thing you brought a snack today. I did. I've become prepared now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So these patients were also forced to go on long walks. If they were too weak to walk... I was going say, they're starving! Yeah, which is totally possible if you're not eating enough food, they would be made to crawl. <gasps> the patients would also be subjected to scalding baths and be forced to endure hour-long enemas at a minimum once a day. Oh
1: my god!
0: Enemas that required 12 quarts of water and would last several hours. Oh. Patients would pass out during the scalding baths and would often cry out in pain during these procedures. Linda herself would also give her patients vigorous massages, which were described as beatings, not massages. In these massages, she would beat her fists against a patient's back and forehead, the whole time yelling, eliminate, eliminate. Like, why? What the fuck? Yeah. Some of these patients truly thought that what Linda was doing here was amazing, and they publicly endorsed her, talking about all of the benefits and how they were truly getting better, that the treatment and fasting were working. But not everyone was so lucky, because not surprisingly, many patients died while under her care. It was believed that close to 40 did. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Linda obviously claimed that they all had either succumbed to the illnesses they had original- that had originally brought them to the sanitarium or from undisclosed, undiagnosed illnesses, such as cancer or cirrhosis of the liver. She knew this because she had performed some of these autopsies in the bathtub on the property. <gasps> no medical examiner or coroner were involved. Just Linda. This
1: bitch is crazy.
0: Yes. Those who were against this form of medicine stated that her patients had clearly died of starvation. This led locals in the town to refer to Wilderness Heights as Starvation Heights. It also didn't help that on multiple occasions, locals would see skeletal humans staggering from Wilderness Heights, barely able to walk and keep themselves upright. (sighs) Oh,
1: my God. They would
0: slowly make their way down the road begging for food. A civil engineer from Seattle named Earl Edward Edmond.
1: You just picked the story with the most wildest names. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He had been a patient at Wilderness Heights. He had kept a journal of his time there and kept a timeline of what went on there, so I want to go over it. So on February 1st, he saw the doctor and treatments began. He had no breakfast. For dinner, he had mashed soup. And for supper, he also had mashed soup. But in (laughs) this whole thing, dinner and supper are referred to as two separate meals. Interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. What would you consider supper?
0: Well, when I looked it up, because I did look it up, (laughs) supper was, like, the earlier dinner. Yeah. And then dinner was, like, the late dinner. It's like
1: breakfast and brunch.
0: Yeah. But how he describes it, he always says dinner first and then supper.
1: Oh. Yeah. Interesting.
0: So between February 5th and 8th, he had breakfast of one orange, mashed soup for both dinner and supper. February 9th to 11th, again, breakfast of one orange, but strained soup for dinner or supper this time. Uh, February 12th, one orange for each meal. The next day, breakfast of two oranges and no other meals. No wonder she could run this place. She didn't have to worry about buying food. Right. The next day, uh, one cup of strained tomato broth at 6 p.m., then one cup of hot strained tomato soup at the night, and then I guess the next morning. And then the 16th was the same as the previous day. But he also added that he slept better last night, head quite dizzy, eyes yellow streaked and red. I was going to say, I'm sure he passed the fuck out. Yeah, they're starting to – we'll see. On February 17th, he ate three oranges that day. Then the next few entries, he starts to talk about how he's feeling as well as what he was eating. So on the 19th, he called on Dr. Dawson today at his home. He slept well Saturday night. February 20th, ate strained juice with two small oranges at 10 a.m. Dizzy all day. Ate strained juice of two small oranges at 5 p.m. February 21st, ate one cup settled and strained tomato broth. Backache today, just below ribs. February 22nd, ate juice with two small oranges at 10. Backache in the right side, just below ribs. The 20- your kidneys? You would think they'd start to – well, you'll
1: see.
0: Okay. The 23rd, slept but little last night. Ate two small oranges at 9 a.m. Went after milk and felt very bad. Ate two small oranges, 6 p.m. The 24th, slept better Wednesday night. Kind of frontal headache in the a.m. Ate two small apples, 10 a.m. Ate one and a half cups hot tomato soup at 6 p.m. Heart hit up to 95 per minute and sweat considerable. (sighs) I know.
1: All of these, like this, is what I experience. The hungrier I get, <laughs> like I get a headache. I, start I know to get the cold sweats <laughs> when I get like if I'm at work
0: and I get a headache, I'm like I might as well eat something, get super see if I feel sleepy. better. Yes, same. So the 25th slept pretty well Thursday night. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth 11 a.m. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth at 9 p.m. Pain and right below ribs. 26, did not sleep so well Friday night. Not your liver. I don't know. Pain and right side, just below ribs, is back. Pain quit at night, ate one-and-a-half cups tomato broth at 10.45 a.m., ate two-and-a-half plump small oranges at 4.30 p.m. Felt better afternoon than for the last week. These entries continued on in a way for, like, another month, with him following more or less the same diet, kind of given the same explanation. On March 28th, Erdman ended up in a real hospital. And just before he was to have a blood transfusion from a coworker, He died. After his death, a headline in the Seattle Daily Times read, quote, Woman MD kills another patient. So not great. Yeah. And clearly the treatment that he was giving, like getting from her is what killed him. Yeah. Linda continued on with this whole wellness center thing for years, treating patients, having them die, labeling their death as an undiagnosed or previously undiagnosed disease, and doing it all over again. This continued for years until February 27th, 1911, when Claire and Dorothea Williamson stopped by Wilderness Heights while on holiday. Wait a
1: minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 1911? Mm-hmm. I thought she had, like, books published.
0: She did. I was just talking about the books.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Sorry. So as she, at, during her time as a doctor, she's writing books. Okay. And this is all happening during her doctor career. Got it. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. So Claire was 33, and Dora, as she liked to be called, was 37, and they were wealthy British women and envisioned Wilderness Heights as a beautiful health spa where they could spend some time and actually get some of their ailments treated. Nope. They had found out about Wilderness Heights from a newspaper while they were in Victoria, British Columbia. Claire had been told she had a dropped uterus, and Dora often complained of swollen glands and rheumatic pains, so they wanted to come here to fix that.
1: A dropped uterus? Yeah, that's
0: like a real thing. I don't know what it means, but it's a real thing. They were into and believed all the New Day alternative medicine and had already cut out meats and corsets in an attempt to improve their health.
1: I mean, okay, not a bad idea. No, it's really not. (laughs) That I could get on board yeah. with. <laughs> so they
0: had no issue with trying a new form of alternative medicine. They spent a month in the care of Hazard. It began in one of the hotel rooms, but soon the girls were moved to the actual Wilderness Heights facility. But they had to be carried out of the hotel room to separate ambulances to be transported, as the two women were too weak to hold themselves up at this point. Mm. In that month, the two women became so unhealthy, with Claire weighing less than 50 pounds, half of what she weighed before she arrived, and Dora weighing less than 60.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Unfortunately, on May 19th, Claire died from starvation, though the autopsy Linda performed said that she had died from cirrhosis. Dora was close to death when she was saved just in time by a family member. At some point, she had been able to make her way to a telegram and ended up sending a very frantic, urgent, and rambling telegram to a family member. That family member had received the message and knew that something was wrong because of how jumbled and incoherent it was. Yeah. She packed up and went immediately to Washington and to Dora. That family member had tried to convince Linda to give her Dora, but Linda refused, and based on a declaration that she had made in regards to Dora's mental health, Hazard was technically now her legal guardian. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Sneaky bitch. At some point during Dora's stay, Linda had been able to declare Dora as insane, and by doing so, she was able to be rewarded legal guardianship of her. This declaration had come from a, quote, medical professional, so it was technically legally binding. That family member had to alert Dora's uncle, John Herbert, who had to travel to Washington and pay Linda $1,000 in order to allow Dora to leave with him. Mm. So Linda did the whole, you know, I'm not giving her to you, and Mm -hmm. the only way you can is if you pay me. That is truly all she wanted. She didn't care about Dora, but she knew that John did, and she knew that she could extort some money from him by saying that was the only way Dora would be able to leave. After she escaped with her uncle, she immediately alerted the authorities of what had happened to her at Wilderness Heights. John Herbert sued, and at the same time, an investigation was launched, and shortly after, in 1912, Linda Hazard was charged with first-degree murder for the death of Claire Williamson. Good. So, court's proceedings… This trial took place at the county courthouse in Port Orchard and caused a media frenzy with the courtroom and surrounding streets being flooded with curious onlookers. The Tacoma Daily News headline read, quote, Officials expect to expose starvation atrocities, Dr. Hazard depicted as fiend. I wonder if this where hazard for your health came from. Huh. Pause. No. Oh. It's because hazard's like a legit definition. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean... I like your way more. Thank you. We're going to go with that one. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> So Hazard tried to say that she was being prosecuted because she was a successful woman, that doctors resented her because of her success, and those doctors were opposed to natural cures, that they had always been against this fasting treatment.
1: I mean, I don't disagree with her, but not for her. Yeah, she's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) While
0: discussing the case, the official court document stated what Claire's diet was while under Linda's care. So it says, quote, The juices of fruits in quantity and not to exceed two fluid ounces daily upon the days and dates aforesaid, and the broth of vegetables not to exceed eight fluid ounces in quantity daily upon the dates and days aforesaid. Said food not being sufficient in quantity or quality to, to sustain life in her. Oh so she was God. getting like 10 ounces of fluids a day, and that's Jesus. it. This
1: water bottle that you bought me is like 32. Yep. Yeah. I was just thinking like it's said to have way more. I couldn't I couldn't think of what the fluid ounces were that you're supposed to have in a day. It's like 180, I think. I know it's like what eight cups. I think they said
0: that's wrong now. Oh. Because that would only be, they said, like, eight cups of eight ounces, which would only be, like, what, 64? You're definitely yeah. supposed to have way more than that. Yeah. Like, if you're an active human, I think you're supposed to have at least, like, 120 or 180. Okay. And if you're, like, not working out all the time, then, like, at least 100, I would assume.
1: Yeah. So they weren't even getting fluid intake, let alone right. food. right. Right.
0: So during the trial, a lot of additional information came out about Claire and Dora's time at Wilderness Heights. It was proven that Linda had actually forged Williamson's will and had, upon Claire's death, inherited her estate. (gasps) By doing so, she now had control of the whole Williamson fortune. And they were wealthy women. (laughs) The jury at the trial heard all about how Linda had forged the will, forged diary entries of Claire's, checks, letters, and all sorts of things. She had stolen fancy gowns and jewelry from the sisters, totaling to over $6,000. She even went as far as to take the gold fillings from Claire's teeth.
1: Oh my god!
0: Yes. Wild side note, so when the family member came to get Dora after the telegram, Linda had greeted the woman wearing one of the robes she had taken from Claire. Ugh! Yes. Yes. Death certificates were shown as evidence, with Linda's name clearly on them, stating that her patients had died from a variety of diseases, but never from starvation. Secondary death certificates were then done by reputable doctors, who were issued as well for the deceased patients, and all of their causes of death had been listed as starvation. Oh my god. Prosecutor Thomas Stevenson had some words for the financial starvist who was Howard. He said that she was a serpent who trode sly and stealthy, yet with all her craft left a trail of slime. Hmm. Details also came out that the Williamsons weren't the only ones who Linda had stolen from. She had a long history of persuading her wealthier patients to sign over large portions of their estate and fortune to her, always conveniently just before they died. Mm. One example is Ivan Flux, who was a wealthy and well off Englishman. He was actually planning on purchasing a ranch, and then he met Linda. He fasted for fifty-three days straight, ending with his death. He only had $70 worth of property to his name when he died. So I bet we can take a guess at where the rest of his fortune went. Mm-hmm. Another is Eugene Wakelin, a wealthy man from New Zealand who had apparently shot himself while in Linda's care. And he had also appointed Linda as the administrator to his estate right before he died. What also came out is that the land that she built Wilderness Heights on came from someone before Wilderness Heights who had signed over the land to her. That person was a former state legislator named Louis E. Rader. Dorothea did recover and was able to testify at Linda's trial. She spoke about her treatment and all that she had been subjected to while there. Nurses and servants at the retreat testified as well. And on a side note, so this one's bad, there was a rumor that swirled that said that Linda had connections with the Butterworth mortuary and had actually switched out Claire's body with a healthier-looking one so that during her funeral, no questions would be asked and no one would be able to see how skeletal and skinny Claire had been Oh, my God. And, like, the pictures are bad. (laughs) Linda was convicted of manslaughter, which had been downgraded from the first-degree murder charge, and was sentenced to 2 to 20 years. That's it.
1: At two to 20. What a range. Uh-huh.
0: At the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. Love it. I knew you would get a kick out of that. Yes. Yeah. And she was sentenced to, like, hard labor. But after only two years, on December 26, 1915, she was released on parole. Then in 1916, just that next year, she was given a full pardon by the governor, Ernest Lester, meaning that she was now a free woman. Apparently, she was popular in New Zealand, and it is believed that the governor was swayed to pardon her after receiving a petition in which 121 Kiwis demanded her release. And Kiwis are people in New Zealand. New Zealand, yes.
1: Yeah, that I knew. Okay.
0: <laughs> he did have one stipulation, though. I
1: did not think it was actual Kiwis. Okay,
0: good. Uh, his one stipulation was that Linda had to leave the U.S. and relocate to New Zealand. So, her and her husband moved on to New Zealand. While Linda was there, she still continued to practice medicine and worked as a dietitian and an osteopath so an osteopath is another form of medicine again considered alternative medicine where the body's muscle tissue and bones are physically manipulated Mm. it sounds incredibly painful so in 1917 linda was charged in ackland under the medical practitioners act after a newspaper in wanganui reported that hazard held a practicing certificate from the washington state medical board she had been using the title doctor which was in violation of the act and she had been practicing medicine while not registered to do so She was found guilty and fined five pounds plus costs or $463 plus costs in 2014 money. She moved back to Olia three years later and opened up a new sanitarium. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) It was known as a school of health. She wasn't allowed to call it a sanitarium anymore because her medical license had been revoked.
1: No kidding.
0: (laughs) So she continued on with her same treatment of fasting. Oh, my God. But there were no reports of what happened here during that time. In 1935, the school burned down and was never rebuilt, which is probably for the best. Right. Linda did practice what she preached, and in 1938, she died of starvation while attempting a fasting cure on
1: herself. I mean, talk about what goes around comes around.
0: Right. So while it is claimed that over 40 people passed away under her care, we do have a few that are actually confirmed. All of her patients who died, it is believed, passed away due to the fasting, not the other diseases and illnesses she claimed they had. So in 1908, there were three deaths. Daisy Maud Hugland, who is a Norwegian immigrant and was Linda's first known victim in Washington. She died in 1908 after fasting for 15 days. Mm. She left behind a son named Ivor, who actually opened a successful restaurant in Seattle and is very well known for it. Oh, cool. Then there was Lenora Wilcox and Ida Wilcox. Then in 1909, there was... Was Blanche B. Tyndall, Viola Heaton, and Eugene Stanley Wakelin, the one who mysteriously had shot himself when in her care. It's right. believed that she had been a large part of her death, like of his death, not the fasting. Sure. 1910 was Maud Whitney, Earl Edward Erdman, the one who wrote the journal entry, and Ellie Rader, the state legislator. 1911 was Frank Southard, C.A. Harris, Ivan Flux, the man who wanted to purchase the ranch and only had $70 to his name, and then obviously Claire Williamson. And in 1912 was Mary Bailey, Ida Anderson, Robert Graham, and Fred Edson. So Linda's story has also come out in the media and in movies. Greg Olson wrote a nonfiction book called Starvation Heights, which obviously centers around and focuses on Linda. This book was adapted for the stage by Jenny Foster, a playwright from Portland, Oregon. In July 2008, the play debuted as part of the National New Play Festival. Then in January 2009, the book was optioned to be made into a film. Pulitzer Prize winner Tracy Letts will write the script, but I have not found anything more on that, which I think would actually be really cool. Yeah. The Investigation (laughs) Discovery Network has a show called Deadly Women, and its first episode is entitled Obsession Talks About Linda. So that is the story of the quack, deadly fasting doctor, Linda Laura Hazard. She was called a quack so many times, and I was like, I need to add this in here somewhere. Well, she truly is a hazard to your health. <laughs> yeah. <help. laughs> yeah. And I swore I had heard this case somewhere before, so I'm trying to go over all the podcasts I've listened to. I could not find who spoke about it, but I, I was like, this is what I'm covering. Yeah. Good looks.
1: What do you have for us today,
0: Mackenzie? I'm pretty
1: excited about it. <laughs> today, I share the story of Kenneth Arnold. The man who history deems responsible for the interest in investigations in UFOs. Oh. Some say he is credited with coining the term flying saucer. Okay. Arnold himself says he was misquoted. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Arnold's story started a massive interest and sightings of possible UFOs. So not only will I share Arnold's story, but I will also share many of the others in the state of Washington. I found this fabulous book article report thing. Not really sure (laughs) what it is. That shared Arnold's story, but also his impact on history. Oh. So I'm going to share with you a lot of the stories that were reported in this book. There are, of course, many more, but since we're in Washington, I decided to just focus on those. Okay. Because they're from all over the country. I think that was a smart call, Mackenzie. Thank you. You'll <laughs> be here forever. Yeah. Uh, others will receive honorable mentions. Like, I didn't name any of the towns in the other states. I just mentioned the states. But then, like, towns that... You and I know, mm-hmm. I put it in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so There'll be other people who are like, wow, those yeah. are the only towns they know. How stupid. Exactly. It's all Maryland and Virginia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of these sightings occurred between June and July of 1947.
0: Dang. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Of course, there have been many, 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 many others. Of and course. And there was something I was going to share from the 1980s, but given all that I have just from this one month, mm-hmm. I figured, oh, well, not. <laughs> but our focus for this evening or morning or afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this episode, <laughs> are from the summer of 1947. So a little background on Mr. Arnold. Kenneth Arnold was born on March 29th, 1915 in Sabika, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Both of our people are in Minnesota. <gasps> minnesota minnesota <laughs> <laughs> arnold was an eagle scout growing up and an all-american state football player in high school in, ni- in 1934 to 1935 he attended the university of minnesota and began working for red cornet in 1938 red cornet manufactured automatic firefighting equipment arnold moved up the ranks quickly and was district manager the year after he started working for the company in 1940 arnold started his own business the Great Western Fire Control Supply Company out of Boise, Idaho. His company (laughs) installed and sold fire suppression systems and business frequently brought him to the Pacific Northwest. Arnold married Doris Lowe in 1941, and they had four daughters together. So, on June 24th, my dad's birthday, 1947, not the year he was born, (laughs) (laughs) Arnold was flying from Jehalis, Washington, to Yakima, so (laughs) funny. Go that's ahead. why that one stuck
0: out to you when i said like when it was in the every time notes. i kept
1: typing it i was like this is such a great word oh my yakima. gosh i want to go <laughs> maybe i'll move there Yakima. okay i okay.
0: can see you in washington it's... no i cannot see you in washington I mean, it's
1: a little chilly but if i live in a town in yakima where do you live i live in yakima how fun or i'm gonna go move to chapa street I can see you there more than I can see you in Yakima. Which I don't think I can because it's, like, in the city, so I'm not sure I can afford that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mm. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> he decided to make a detour on his way because there was a $5,000 reward, which, according to Wikipedia, is $61,000 today, Ooh. to help recover a Marine Corps transport airplane that had crashed near Mount Rainier. Skies were clear, and around 3 p.m., Arnold gave up a search and continued to his destination in Yakima. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Arnold was flying at 9,200 feet when he saw a bright flash of light, similar to being flashed with a mirror. Arnold was concerned that he was too close to another aircraft and began searching the skies. The only other aircraft was behind him and kind of to the left. It was a DC-4, which, according to Wikipedia, (laughs) because I didn't know what that was. Yeah, no, I don't either. A DC-4 is like a a small commercial aircraft. Okay. And Arnold clocked it. I was proud of myself when I said that. Oh, my God. (laughs) And Arnold clocked it about 15 miles away. Shortly after seeing the first flash of light, Arnold saw a series of flashes to the north of Mount Rainier. Arnold moved his plane from side to side, took off his sunglasses, and even opened the window, all to ensure that he wasn't seeing a mirage of sorts. The objects flew in a chain-like formation and with incredible speed. Arnold compared these shapes to, quote, saucers, discs, or a pie pan. Which I think is where the confusion lies of people think he said flying saucer but he's like i described it as a flying as a saucer like oh and then as the media frenzy went oh. on somewhere along the way someone said okay flying saucer interesting against the white snow of the mountain they appeared darker in color with the occasional flash of light as they flew around erratically and arnold said to see nine objects flying in this formation He estimated them to be slightly smaller than the DC-4 flying behind him, so around 60 feet. Mm -hmm. Later, he assumed that to see these objects, they needed to be much larger. A United Airlines crew who claimed to witness a similar sighting 10 days later said it was much larger than the DC-4, putting the aircrafts at around 100 feet. The Army Air Force concluded, based on additional witness accounts, that crafts could only be seen as large as 100 feet and 40 to 280 feet. Wow. Can't say that sounds the same my life. So it's anywhere from 60 feet to 280 feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a drastically big difference. Oh, yeah. Arnold would describe the encounter as, quote, I noticed to the left of me a chain which looked to me like a tail of a Chinese kite, kind of weaving. They seemed to flip and flash in the sun, just like a mirror. They seemed to kind of weave in and out right above the mountaintops. yeah. Arnold decided to open the window of his aircraft to ensure he wasn't seeing a trick of light. Once the window was down, the objects did not disappear. Arnold turned his plane to be flying more or less parallel with these aircrafts. Arnold decided to estimate the speed the aircrafts were traveling at by timing how long it took the craft to travel between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. Mm-hmm. That makes sense why you would do that. Mm-hmm, yes. Before they disappeared. And it took the UFOs one minute and 42 seconds to travel about 50 miles. Wow. Which he calculated to be about 1,700 miles per hour. Whoa. Not being 100% sure of the distance between the mountains, he mm-hmm. kind of, you know, plus or minus. Yeah. So he rounded down to about 1,200 miles per hour. Dang. These were speeds that were three times as fast as any known aircraft during the time. Like, they haven't even broken this sound barrier yet. Mm-hmm. And once Arnold landed in Yakima... <laughs> He shared his story with some other pilots who thought it may be secret military crafts or guided missiles. Yeah. And a lot of, like, the interviews that Arnold was in, he was pretty much like, if this is some sort of government-military thing, then why don't they just come out and say, like, hey, this is us, don't worry about it, everything's fine. Because then they would be giving themselves away. Yeah. They did reassure people, it was like, oh, this isn't some, like, foreign thing that we need to worry about. Mm-hmm. But they certainly didn't claim... Yeah. ...anything. So, the media mayhem. On June 25th, 1947, Kenneth Arnold went to the Oregonian? It's like Oregon and then I-A-N. Oregonian? It's a newspaper in Oregon. Okay. (laughs) Upon upon arriving in Oregon for an air show, he told a story to Nolan Skiff and Bill Becket, and neither one of them had a clue as to what Arnold may have seen that day. Not leaning one way or another, they told Arnold they would write up a story and send it to the Associated Press. The AP can be used by local papers to share local stories that may have national or regional interest. Paquette was close to the deadline of the paper being published, so he quickly wrote up a small blurb to add to the local paper and to send to the AP. When Paquette returned from lunch, the phones were ringing off the hook to learn more about these so-called flying saucers. Mm -hmm. Paquette interviewed Arnold in his hotel room and wrote up a story. He sent it to the local AP in Portland, and the next day, Arnold's story was the front-page news on almost every newspaper in the country. Dang. In the following days, reports of UFOs had increased to about 12 a day. Dang. Yeah. Of course, Arnold was met with skepticism, many having their own theories or explanations about what Arnold saw that day. One of them being Captain Al Smith of the United Airlines pilot said that it was, quote, a reflection of his instrument panel. Elmer Fisher, a Portland meteorologist, offered the idea that Arnold had experienced, quote, a slight touch of snow blindness from the mountain peaks. Mm. Others continued to offer ideas of metal objects that have circular exhaust pipes, some saying meteorites falling from the sky. One of my favorites. (laughs) This is a great theory that I read about that came from an operator of a bottle capping plant in Everett, Washington, and it was shared in the Report of the UFO Wave of 1947 by Ted Blocher. As I read through this report, it truly read like a scholarly journal research article. Mm-hmm. It was written in 1967 with the help of Dr. James E. McDonald, who is, was, I'm sure if he's was—trippy—still alive. Okay. <laughs> Senior physicist at the Institute of Atmospheric Physics at the University of Arizona. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so here's an abstract from the beginning of the article that can give you a pretty good picture of the kind of research that was put into the report and its main purpose. So, this is the abstract. Mm. The report of the UFO wave of 1947 discusses the first contemporary wave of UFO sightings in this country, which reached its peak on July 6th through 7th, 1947. It includes a detailed chronology of more than 850 UFO cases for June and July, with complete references, primarily from 140 newspapers in 90 cities in the United States and Canada. Wow. Also from the files of NICAP. And I see. Oh, NICAP. Yeah. yeah, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Yeah, I've heard of them before. I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> and Project Blue Book, which yep. is the famous Air Force report. Mm-hmm. Also didn't know that. Oh yes. <laughs> <sighs> it's not fun if you already know the answers. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts. No kidding. I mean, so do I. But like, dude, I didn't know things. <laughs> As well as references from a small number of publications on UFOs. About 250 of these reports are discussed in detail with references to patterns of appearances, behavior of objects reported, to special types of witnesses, and to other special features. A summary of the period, the pattern of press coverage, and its effects on the subject are discussed. Maps are provided to illustrate the daily distribution of sightings for the period. So basically... It it seemed like it was almost a research into how this time affected society, so to speak. Interesting. Okay. And it definitely seemed like these guys were like, this is probably legit. Mm -hmm. Like, even though it it started this phenomenon that, you know, everyone's skeptical of, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. You can tell they were very much leaning towards the side of, these are probably UFOs. You can't have 150 people. That's what it seems like. Because we
0: did um, another UFO I think I did it in Montana when Joe helped me. It was a UFO encounter. And, yeah, it's a lot of the stuff where the people, like, we would freak out about it Mm -hmm. or, like, have a big deal about it. But the government has all this information about UFOs that they're just kind of keeping hidden. Yeah. And so it's like they definitely believe in it. I wish they would tell us. that they made it more, like, common, then right. I don't think people would freak out if they heard about it. It would be like, oh, yep, the aliens came last night. Like, like, we're good.
1: 850. Right. And that's just the cases. That's not the amount of people. Some of these cases have multiple witnesses as part of that case. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So, and then there are also probably people who just never said anything. Well,
1: that's – so, we're going to get into that Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was that whole debacle of, like, well, you know, this guy's saying something. How do we know that, you, you know? But it's mm-hmm. like, again – 150 people are going to come up with a lie. Yeah. Come on. So back to the bottle cap operator. (laughs) Hilarious. So this is his explanation for what Arnold saw that day. Quote, the little aluminum discs inside the bottle caps were set free when the bottle caps were melted down, rose up in the chimneys on columns of hot air, and were carried aloft by the winds to be reported as flying discs by numerous people throughout the country. Little bottle caps. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I loved it. It was great. (laughs) So that's it. That's the one.
0: Yep, that's truly, because, you know, once that's 10 feet in the air, you can still clearly
1: see a bottle cap. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Colonel Alfred F. (gasps) What if this is Alfred? Oh. He's skeptical, but, like, his response is kind of funny. Okay. (laughs) So, Alfred F. (laughs) Kilburr. There's two ERs at the end. I'm sure that's it. Kilburr. He was an intelligence officer of the Eighth Air Force, and was quoted saying, "The reports might be true, but I doubt it." (laughs) Later on, he said that the reports were nothing more than, "quote, an interesting study in human psychology." Okay, I just thought it was really funny. It might be true, but I doubt it. Yeah, (laughs) like just like true skeptic. Yep. Many, if not all, UFO sightings have been doubted over the years. Regardless of your theories, Arnold's story is credited with igniting the UFO phenomenon. He was not alone in his sightings, even stating to have seen three additional sightings since his original experience. With every national phenomenon, there are, of course, hoaxes to go with it. Naturally, yes. Mm -hmm. Arnold getting himself wrapped up in one on Murray Island. The story from two harbormen in Tacoma, Washington included... Injuries, damages, and debris. But upon further investigation, the story turned out to be all made up. And it got to be so big of a deal that Arnold had called in some of the people from the Air Force that had investigated his claim. Mm. They came, they took back with them the things that the guys had found, and then like on the way back, the plane crashed and two of them died. Oh! And people were pissed because yeah. they were like, oh yeah, no, we were just making it up, just kidding. And they wanted to be prosecuted, like they wanted to prosecute them, Mm -hmm. but it didn't obviously happen to work out that way. Yeah. So, not good. No. Not that good. By the end of June, there had been around 128 sightings from 30 different states and even two from Canada. On July 7th alone, there were 162 sightings from 37 states. So now I bring to you these stories that are shared from various people from all walks of life. I have sectioned these stories off the way that the report did. Okay. Uh, And we start with different kinds of sightings. So, for example, loose formations or hover objects. Mm -hmm. And then share from various people that are considered special witnesses. So, these people are considered to be respected members of the community, ones who would not necessarily be seen to make wild conjecture. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ones who wouldn't lie about something just to, like, lie about it. Or who just don't
1: lie. Exactly. So, for example, Jimmy Carter is known for having reported a UF. Like, the president. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, he – and I – I didn't know if it was while he was president or before, but he had reported a UFO sighting. Oh, wow. And so it, using that as like an example of like yeah. prospective people. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to mention the other states that had their reports, but the stories are going to be focusing on Washington State. Obviously, yes. Obviously. So we'll start with our loose formations. So there was two in Missouri. There was one in Virginia from Glendale. I don't know where that is, uh-huh. but since it's Virginia, I thought I'd mention it. <laughs> So then we get to case number 85 from June 27th in Woodland, Washington. Clyde Homan is the manager of Tulips Inc., which sits near the Columbia River. Homan was at his desk when he noticed a flash of light through the window. He noticed a group of objects tilted back and forth in the sky. Each time they tilted to the right, Homan would see the flash again. He called his foreman in the warehouse to look outside. The foreman was able to witness the groups of objects just before they disappeared. Homan estimated that there were maybe four or five of them in a group, possibly traveling at 600 miles per hour, only 1,000 to 2,000 feet up from the ground. What's the typical, like, speed of a plane? I have no idea. I'm actually curious because I'm wondering
0: if these are, like, you know, if it's, like, the speed of normal plane flies.
1: Well, I think for our time, those speeds aren't quite outrageous. What? Right
0: now, it's around 460 to 575 miles per hour, which is 740 to 930 kilometers per hour. So I feel like back – and that's our time now. So I feel like back then, if you're seeing a plane going like 600, that's wild.
1: Well, and the other thing, too, is that, like, we know now of things that can travel faster than a plane. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have that yet. Exactly. So even then, it was more mind-boggling.
0: Oh, the world's fastest propeller plane is the Russian-made Tupolev. Uh, which had a maximum speed of f- 540 miles per hour. It held the record since 1960. Even though another prop plane, the XF-84H Thunderscreech, was designed to fly at 1,000 miles per hour. We don't have to keep that in. I just thought that was interesting.
1: What breaks the sound barrier?
0: 950 to 1,000 kilometers per hour. Oh, that sounds wrong. 590 to 620 miles per hour. I mean, sound doesn't travel that fast. That's true. Okay. They broke the sound barrier in um Top Gun. Mm-hmm. I watched that a couple times. I watched it once when I went to go see it at Nude Hazy, which was actually really, really cool. And then I saw
1: it again because Joe was like, I want to watch it. And I'm like, okay. Is it the new one? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it.
0: I haven't seen the old one. Uh, so I've seen the new one twice. Together we can compare notes because I've seen the old one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of times when, like, mom and I were watching it. And there was, like, this one girl who's, like, really... She's like one of the stars in the second one. Mm-hmm. And we're watching her, and I'm like, oh my God, she must have been in the first one. Mom was like, yeah. And we're like, oh my God, there's so much we're missing from the first know? one. She didn't see the first one. She didn't see the first or one. Or it was so long ago. Yeah. But so I was like, oh my God, we should have totally watched the first one to know her backstory. She's not even in the first one. Yeah. So mom and I are just here, like, making all these, like, skeptical notes. And we're like, oh my God, this person was in the first one because we have no
1: idea what's going on. No. Well, there's two. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said the first one. No, no, no. There's two Top Guns from, like, The 80s. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I think now I see these things and then I'm like, fuck, I'm probably not speaking the truth.
0: (laughs) There are only two. There's Top Gun from 1986 and then Top Gun Maverick from now. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So now we bring, I bring you to case 732. God. So when I was like reading these and I was like highlighting them, it reminded me of Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. Experiment 626 or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, on July 8th in Spokane, Washington, the Tracy family and Mrs. Blanc and her son, Jerry, witnessed discs flying over the city at about noon. The group saw what appeared to be a football-shaped object that was black on one side and silver on the other. This event turned these families from skeptics to believers in the flying saucer phenomenon. So many stories can be short. Um, So, straight lines, that's where Kenneth's case comes in. He's number 39. Okay. There's three from Illinois. One from Montana, one from Massachusetts, and one from California. The V and triangular formations. There's one from North Carolina, Wisconsin, Ohio, Iowa, New Hampshire, California, there's two, Oregon, Idaho, there's two, Colorado, there's two, Texas, New Orleans, there's two. So that seems to be a really popular one. Two?
0: No, the... formation you're talking about? <laughs> yes, yeah, some of them have a lot,
1: <laughs> and some-, <laughs> some, of them- some of them only have a couple. <laughs> so this brings us to case 689. On July 7th in Tacoma, Washington, reporters got a call from MC Streams that he had seen three discs flying in a V formation from his bedroom window. Around the same time, Sergeant John Samuelson and Corporal Peter Walker at McCord Field called in to report that they had also seen two discs flying at high speed over the field, and they were emitting vapor trails behind them. So those two corroborated each other. Hovering objects. Idaho, Georgia, Arizona, New Jersey, Vermont, California, Illinois, two. Did you say Illinois? Did I? Yeah, you did. Illinois, (laughs) two. (laughs) South Dakota, and then special mention, case number 215, Alexandria, Virginia. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So then that was cool. So then there's abrupt changes in elevation from mm. Idaho, Utah, Indiana, and Arizona.
0: Circling. Yeah. Like something's like circling overhead. Why does that
1: sound weird? Circling <laughs> maneuvers from New Mexico, Idaho, Oregon, Wisconsin to California. Sudden stops and reversals, Oregon, Missouri, and Maine. When you say two, it reminds me of SpongeBob. Two. Count Two. two. Marshmallows, <laughs> <laughs> uh, various in general maneuvers. Utah, Michigan, Colorado. Colorado. Low swooping and car buzzing. Two from car Colorado saying, "What's that?" I don't know. I didn't read those because they weren't in. <laughs> no. Okay. At this point, by, when I was trying to get this information, I was like, okay, you haven't written anything down yet. <laughs> like, That's just okay. Just skip over it. There's <laughs> 190 pages. Oh, my God. I thought I was only going to skim through some of them, but then I was like, nope, you, you're going to have to read this whole thing. <laughs> so, some of these things, I was like, at that point, I have no idea what happened. Yeah. But anyway, two from Colorado, Texas, Iowa, and Idaho. Idaho? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Land and takeoffs, New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho, two, Florida, and Arizona. I believe this is where this the Roswell case... Yeah, that's exactly I what think I was thinking. this falls into that. Okay. I believe that's what I saw in here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. So this brings us to case number 803. July 9th, Spokane, Washington, around 6.15 p.m., Cliff Markman and his crew at the Layrite Concrete Producing Plant reported seeing three disc objects spinning in the sky. They were flying over the Sperry Flower Mill at about 50 to 60 miles per hour. One of the discs looked as if it landed near the Spokane River. However, 50 to 60 miles per hour seems really slow. Yeah, that's what some of these, like, were – a lot of these were a lot slower than you would think. When when it did mention speed. They didn't all mention speed.
0: Yeah, I drive faster than that to get to work. Right. (laughs) I don't
1: know. It looked as if it landed near Spokane River. However, when the group of men went to investigate, they could not find any evidence of the disc in that area. Mm -hmm. So then we have protuberances, which is a thing that protrudes from something else. Oh, okay. Like domes, fins, and knobs. Oh, okay. (laughs) So in Oregon... Colorado, two. (laughs) Hagerstown, Maryland. Oh. Clue to that town because we know what it is. Yeah. Illinois. And case number 752. July 8th, Seattle, Washington. At 3.30 in the afternoon, Earl Clenpike and his mother reported seeing very shiny shaped oval objects that had a glass dome on top of it flying at a relatively slow speed of 75 to 80 miles per hour. Clenpike said it was moving, quote, in a straight line with a up and down motion, he and his mother watched this aircraft for seven minutes before it disappeared. See, so every case might have more than one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appendages, antennas, legs, propellers, and tails. Yeah, I like that. Oh my. <laughs> Oregon, Missouri, Pennsylvania, California, Illinois, South Dakota, Bethesda, Maryland, mm-hmm. Kentucky, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Case Number Three Hundred Thirty, July Fifteenth, Tacoma, Washington. I've been watching a lot of, um, like, Forensic Files and True Crime things, and that's how they... Oh. July 5th, 1985. Tacoma, Washington. Yes. Dun-dun. (laughs) Dun-dun. Lillian Emblem and her friend Marie Reed... Wow! Lillian Emblem, Marie Reed, reported seeing two objects traveling through the sky. She described the objects as, quote, looked like two spoils joined together by connecting rods. Lillian and Marie saw the object for about 30 seconds and said it moved at the speed similar to an airplane. Small objects, Pennsylvania, three. Mm. North Dakota, Michigan, Kansas. Cone-shaped, Illinois, Pennsylvania. V and winged. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oregon and South Carolina. Torpedo or cylindrical. Delaware, Canada, Tennessee, and Prince Edward Island. Propeller-shaped, Ohio. And case number 391. July 6th spokane washington miss jenkins was outside watering her lawn oh miss jenkins that just sounds like such a sweet old lady name maybe she was oh <laughs> miss jenkins was outside watering her lawn in the early morning around 7 10 a.m she reported seeing two objects that were moving oh so fast that's her quote direct quote <gasps> see she is right? a sweet old lady <laughs> that's so i thought they were so sweet <laughs> they're moving Oh, so fast. (laughs) Mrs. Jenkins described the objects as, quote, toy propellers children run with. They were aluminum colored and one was above the other. She said the objects began to fly straight up in the sky before vanishing from sight. Satellite object. Oregon, Ohio, Arizona, California, Illinois. Forgot the E in Maine. (laughs) It's still Still Maine. Maine. (laughs) All right. Case 20. June 21st, which is before Arnold's sighting, because his was June 24th. Oh. So. I don't know if this was reported on June 21st, mm-hmm. but it technically happened. Okay. And so the big thing that this guy was reporting is that a lot of people decided to come forward because, okay, well, you have this one guy. And other people already have, so now it's right. not right. as weird. Because, it's not as yeah. weird. Maybe what I, see, what I saw wasn't some trick of the mind or whatever. Yeah. So, June 21st. Spokane, Washington. There was a lot there. Yes, lots in Spokane and Tacoma. Guy R. Overman was watching planes fly in the early afternoon when he saw several flying objects ahead and below the plane. The objects seemed to be rather large, but they did not fly faster than the plane. Once the plane outdistanced the object, they disappeared from sight. The Air Force files claimed Mr. Overman saw, quote, balloons. Case number 556, July 7th, Tacoma, Washington. (laughs) At 2.30 a.m., two police officers were parked at North 33rd and Adams Street when they saw a streak fly across the sky. Officer Evan Davies and Stan Johnson watched as six or seven objects flew around the night sky. They reported seeing one large object with smaller ones sliding to and from the larger ones. The large one appeared to be, quote, spinning like a top and throwing off sparks like a bursting skyrocket. As the objects traveled in the sky, the officers decided to follow them. They called into dispatch indicating where they were and that they were going after this thing. It was hard to judge the actual size and speed of these objects, but Johnson said it looked to be about the size of a softball, which I felt was the most accurate description. Mm -hmm. Because if you're thinking about, especially at a night sky, like, you're not going to be able to see the depths of that thing. No. It's just going to look like a round ball. Yeah. So that one seemed, you know, anyway. They would see the disks in one location, and then they would suddenly appear miles away, which is kind of the biggest thing that they were like, whoa, that's weird. They watched this phenomenon for about a half an hour. Jeez. And once they returned to the station, other officers said that someone from South Tacoma had called in around the same time to report seeing the same thing that Johnson and Davies saw. What time or what um, year was this? 1947. 1947.
0: Oh, so we wouldn't have really had, like, cameras or anything that could easily capture There things? is a
1: category of pictures. Oh, okay. Yes, so there are pictures. And, I mean, it, it, for pictures from 1947, it just looks like a bunch of balls of light in the sky. Yeah. But if you're thinking about 1947, mm-hmm. we're not going to – why are those going to be in the sky? If yeah. it was today, you could probably come up with a few good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But then Mm-hmm. So,
0: and especially with cameras now, you'd be able to see more anyways. So yeah. there would be more, you know, things you could figure.
1: I'll be sure to include them in the Instagram post. Oh, wonderful. Mills. Davies described seeing, quote, Sparks that shot out away from the main object, but then would come back to it like a sparkler, except for their re-entry. They saw the objects disappear when the large one suddenly made a vertical ascent into the night sky. Special witnesses. Oh. Business executives. Ohio. Two executives from B.F. Goodrich. No idea what that is. Oh, I've heard of that before. Oh, good. Yeah. You always have. I couldn't tell you what kind of company it is, but I've heard it before. Not a clue. California, executive from an insurance company. Michigan, a J.C. Penney store manager. Massachusetts, a Harvard grad and president of an interior design company. Mm -hmm. Educators, professor of philosophy at the University of Wisconsin, a local school teacher in Utah, acting president of the University of Tennessee in Tennessee. (laughs) Teacher at the Citadel in South Carolina, which I think is Navy, Marine, Oh, yeah. Something. Yeah, something. Something. I saw it when I was in Charleston. Yeah. Um, dean of the University of the Oklahoma School of Engineering. In Oklahoma? Yep. <laughs> you guessed it. <laughs> An Army aviator during World War One and a Missouri school teacher. I loved how they put school teachers in I was in about there. to say you would be a special witness. I was a special witness that we were incredible. Aw. Meteorologist and weather observers. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. In Kentucky, the U.S. government meteorologist in charge of the Weather Bureau in Louisville. And in Ohio, a weather observer and CAA communication operator at Zanesville Airport Control Tower. Again, another very good one. Mm-hmm. Military personnel. Army. Uh, five from California, two from Colorado, and two from Alabama. From the Navy, we had Colorado, Pearl Harbor. And then Case 835. July 12th. Seattle, Washington. Seaman John Kennedy and Ben Bobberly were on duty at Sandpoint Naval Air Station. Around 6.30 p.m. over Lake Washington, the seamen saw a disc-like object flying through the sky. The officers reported the sighting to the base, but the Air Force didn't include it in their files. Around the same time, in the same area, two teenagers also reported seeing disc-like objects that would flash in the sun. So some of these had, like, two for one. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering. So there were five reports from newsmen and editors. There were six reports from doctors. There were 22 from airline, military, and private pilots, mm. which brings us to case 735. July 7th or 8th near Spokane, Washington. A war veteran pilot and his student pilot saw a flying object at an altitude of about 500 feet. The pilot said that the object was not flying very fast. He tried to capture a photograph of it, but the neg- negatives did not turn out well. Mm-hmm. Police and law enforcement, a total of eight, which brings us to case 118. June 30th, Spokane, Washington. John Morning, who was a county night jailer, had reported to the sheriff's office that he saw a, quote, bright, shiny object coming from the west. It was flying at an altitude above most planes. Morning described the object as, quote, round and had no wings or apparent means of propulsion. David Allen, 18, reported a similar sighting during that afternoon. It is unclear if Allen's report is verification of morning's, because the facts were missing from Allen's report, and therefore they are not 100% sure if it was the same thing. Some public officials. Lieutenant Governor of Idaho, Warren County Deputy Treasurer in New York, Juvenile Probation Officer in Arizona, Chamber of Commerce in New Mexico, Modoc County District Attorney in California, Assistant County Treasurer in South Dakota, state senator attorney in South Carolina, and Covington commissioner in Kentucky. There were reports from three engineers and technicians. From scientists, we have an animal ecologist, a guided missiles expert with the Naval Research Center place, an astronomer, head of the Division of Animal Husbandry in the, of the State of Agriculture Department, and a scientist who works for the Department of Meteorites. Wow. Then they had a category of evidence. So, they included things like animals, debris. Mm, okay. So, there was three reports of different animal reactions. Fragments, ashes, and traces. There were five of those. Electromagnet effects, three. Photographs, seven. Which brings us to case 257. On July 4th in Lake City, Washington, Yeoman Frank Ryman of the Coast Guard captured a photo of a disc as it flew over the city. Which I will include that one in there. This would be a, this would
0: have been like such a fun job organizing all these things and like putting the case notes it together. Was fascinating. Yeah, I would have loved that as a job. fascinating. Like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I organize UFO evidence.
1: Yeah, and, and encounters. I don't really. I I I kind of skipped part of the introduction, so I might have missed it. But I didn't know the main guy. I don't know what his job was. Yeah. Like, you had the doctor guy because yeah. He, so he pretty much looked in newspapers like that's where he got majority of oh interesting. Is, is from newspaper reportings yeah um he sometimes would go to the actual places but he ended up just going to the library of congress mm. and pulling it from the archives oh wow and then um the doctor that did it with him he made 30 interviews like phone call interviews wow and one of the people he they had interviewed was um the two police officers that had like chased it for Whatever. Yeah. He, they had, like, called him and, like, talked to them about it. Because this came out 20 years afterwards. Yeah. And then the other article I found was from the 80s, um, where the reporter had interviewed the reporter who interviewed... Arnold. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's how I knew the information about the Associated Press, which I did not know before. (laughs) And there was a, a small list, but, and it was like places from all over the world between like 70s and 80s, but I figured this wasn't up. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So this report included 853 different stories from witnesses claiming to have seen a UFO, all in a span of a month or so. Yeah. While the hysteria did die off, UFO sightings continue to be a phenomenon yet to be explained. Regardless of what you believe, there is no denying the effect of Kenneth Arnold's story on society and life as we thought we knew. Do you think they're aliens? Absolutely. Would you like to see an alien? Sure. I would too. If they can bring me to a better place. <laughs> <laughs> I have two theories. Okay. Either one, we're so far behind technologically that like, we're almost like a... a exhibit to watch did
0: we ever talk about that on the podcast yes or did we have that as our discussion probably both okay because i remember we had like that one sleepover we talked about that like all All night night long
1: (laughs) (laughs) but we're either like an exhibit that people are like look look how you know neanderthal they are yeah or the complete opposite where the universe is gone the reason we can't find any other intelligent life is because some cataclysmic event like the Big Bang happened mm-hmm. and wiped everybody out. And we're all that's left And now. we are all that's left. And I think I talked about it too, or I told you. I can't remember at this point because we've talked about
0: this a lot. <laughs> um, it's the one where they believe that every society has like a certain point. I've
1: been sharing your theory with people, yes! Yeah,
0: and once you <laughs> hit that certain point, you're either going to make it as a society mm-hmm. and you're going to keep going or you're going to die. Yeah. So that's kind of why we've had so many like kind of waves of people Mm -hmm. that we've just never been able to make it past that so there could be other universes out there who have made it past that kind of breaking point and they've you know kept going and expanded and now they're way out of any technological advances we have gotten to at this point right it's so fascinating fascinating. it's so fun
1: to talk about it's just the universe is huge yes like when you really truly think about it like Horton, here's a who. Great metaphor. Yeah, We actually. are legitimately a fucking speck. Yeah. Like, and, and if you think about just our our galaxy. Yeah. Like, that alone and how massive that truly is and where we fall. And then you think about, oh, wait a minute. There's shit outside of that. hmm That we have, There, it's just, that's why, logically speaking, it doesn't make sense that we'd be the only ones. Right. Because it's fucking huge. There's no way. But then at the same time, with how long that we've been around either they came in ancient times and we were not well enough to record it and then they were like "Mm, you have a lot to do or we were still like fish right or like i think of like invader zim yeah (laughs) (laughs) like how they pretty much make fun of earth and like our whatever like that's kind of what i imagine yeah so it's like but also at the same time it's like why haven't why hasn't anybody come Mm -hmm. are we the advanced ones did this Big Bang wipe people out and we are the ones that are most advanced? And there is life, but they're, they're the fish. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's Literally, you could talk about this forever. Oh, my God, yeah. There are so many fun things online that I'll see, like, articles where it shows you how small we are. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, you know, between Earth and the moon, you could fit every single planet, like, yep. next to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't think of that huge distance. Or there could be, like, a million Earths that can fit
1: in the sun. Uh, the diameter of the sun is 109 Earths. Oh, there you go. So there's a lot that can fit in there. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it's just wild to think about.
1: And, you know, there's a really great video, and it starts with the smallest, like, it starts with, I think, like, people, and then it zooms way in, and it explores, like, the smallest unit of measurement that we have ever been able to Mm -hmm. quantify or whatever, and then it zooms all the way out, and pretty much the last image is... You just see this little circle, and it's like, this is the observable universe that we've seen. Oh, yeah. And I've seen things like and that. And it's like, but there's other shit outside of that. It's mind-blowing. just what we've seen.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. When you think that it goes on forever. It's like wild. It's so weird. And it's like... We could get really into our heads right now thinking about
1: this. Everything feels so small when you're here. Yeah. Like, this is truly it. This is the universe. hmm But when you really stop and think about it, it's like, we... We're just life floating. Yeah. Like, it's very insignificant. Yeah. Like, we put way too much into ourselves. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know? Like, I was talking to this one person, and they were very much like, I want to leave my legacy on Earth. And I was like, why? Yeah. Like, <laughs> in another hundred years, no one's going to know who the hell you are. Mm-hmm. At this point, like, as long as you enjoy yourself. Yeah. And are having a good time and are a good person, then why do you need more than that? Right. Like i don't know it's just people are weird it's wild well i think we've <laughs> dove enough into
0: space for this episode
1: oh, we could keep going
0: oh we really could all right well that was washington
1: yeah <laughs>
0: cool stuff it is cool stuff
1: so our socials a scary state pod on twitter a scary state podcast and on facebook and instagram i can't do the website too. you're gonna have to do it
0: uh our website is
1: <laughs> www
0: a scary state <laughs> podcast. com, And our email is <laughs> a scary state podcast at gmail.com. Send us stories.
1: and Send see- us
0: alien stories that you've had. Ooh, like if yeah. you've had any UFO encounters or anything at all, send those to us. Yeah, it
1: doesn't just have to be ghost stories. It can yeah. be any sort of weird thing.
0: Anything that you considered scary or that other people would consider scary.
1: And uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be fall. So happy first day of fall. Yes. And by the next time we get together, it'll be spooky season. <gasps> I
0: cannot wait. We have some really good stuff coming up for spooky season that I'm really excited
1: about. Message us, DM us, email us if you have ideas. We're trying to get you guys to give us input on what you want to hear. What you want to hear. So. All right. Well, I think that's it. So Mm -hmm. stay scary. Stay safe.